This is the Made It in Music podcast. I'm Seth Mosley, and this is Show 143. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. Hey everyone, this is Logan Crockett, and I am pleased to welcome you to another episode of Made It in Music. When you're pursuing a career in the music industry, it can absolutely feel like an uphill battle. Some days it feels like you are working so incredibly hard to do everything right, but still, none of the major players in the music industry seem to notice or care, and it feels like they're not even trying to find new talent. And to be honest, in many cases, that can be the case. Record labels, publishing companies, managers, etc. can easily get full rosters, and sometimes to best serve their current clients, it means that they end up being closed off to working with the new kids. But that certainly isn't always the situation. Music careers only last so long, so if music companies want to exist in the long term, they do always need to be welcoming in new talent. And if you're going to welcome in new talent, you want to make sure it's the right talent. And that's why, even if it doesn't always seem like it, many record labels and music companies really are on the lookout to work with new people. And sometimes it's a very active process. Today we talk with Chris Lacey. She is the executive VP of AR at Warner Music Nashville, and we are going to get into the AR discovery process today and what exactly happens when labels are actively looking for new artists. Here with Chris Lacey at Full Circle Music on the Made It Music Podcast. Thank you so much for making time to come by today. Oh, thanks for having me. I know you are exceptionally busy, executive VP of AR at Warner Music Nashville, which when I hear that and I can imagine that it's a job with much responsibility, many hats, a lot of artists that you're looking after. So really do appreciate you making time. Um, so let's go all the way back to the beginning of your story. What was the first moment that music moved you and you knew that you had to make it your, your life, you had to make it your career? I think it was, it was even before I was old enough to know that it was a career. Um, I found a, cassette tape a few months back where I was singing with my grandfather and we were singing You Are My Sunshine and, and my grandmother had recorded it and uh, I was correcting the lyrics with my grandpa and asking him to re-sing it again and do it a different way and that kind of thing. So uh, I feel like it's always been a part of me and, and I don't remember a time where I didn't think it was going to be what I did for a career. Mm. So all the way, all the way back to the beginning. Yeah. What did, what did you do with that? Like how, how did that, because there's a lot of people who have it as their passion, but can never make it a career. Mm -hmm. Like what did you, what path did you take that actually turned into that for you? Yeah, I did all the things that you know to do in a small town. I took guitar lessons and I wrote in my spare time and I read a lot. I was always looking for ideas. I kind of did it cathartically. I joined a band in junior high and high school and, and did some regional stuff, just anywhere they would let me sing, whether it was talent competitions or they used to have those 
what is it, you sing the hits kind of karaoke booths that you would go in and you'd sing to a track that was way too high for you or way too low. And so it was always just got awful. But, um, but yeah, I, I I did everything that I, I knew to do. It was always country music, just with the knowledge that at some point when high school is over, I'm going to go to Nashville and see what there is to see. Mm, That's awesome. Um, so when you got to Nashville, I know, I know your first job in music was as a receptionist. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about how you kind of got that job and what, you know, what, what, you know, it was in music publishing, which you were in for a long time, but how did you get that first job? Yeah. So I did what a lot of folks do now. And I think of course now there's more of a structure to do it. I did internships. I went to Vanderbilt. I majored in English and communications not with the idea that that would help me somehow in the music industry, but just that's what I knew I could graduate with. I couldn't do math or science. So I knew that I could make it through that. But I was really lucky. I had a a professor named uh, Cecilia Tishy who was also a music fan and she's written about country music. And so she helped put together an internship for me that allowed me to work at record labels and publishing companies. And, um, And in doing so, I... I made connections. It's all about relationships, as we know. So uh, there was a writer at one of my internships named Byron Hill. And um, Byron uh, has written multiple number of records, was a producer, was also uh, an A&R guy at one time. And Byron recommended me to a publisher named Tom Collins. And uh, Tom used to produce Ronnie Millsap and Barbara Mandrell and, and had a lot of success there. So he had a publishing company and I just needed to get my foot in the door and, and Byron sent me over there and he hired me and I was ecstatic. That's awesome. So starting as a receptionist, but then that eventually led to you being a plugger for 12 years, was it? Yes. So can you talk about that side of the business a little bit? And like, maybe how does that, having that experience affect what you do now in A&R? Like what was your day to day with that? I learned from the writers that that I worked with. And as I moved around, I was always trying to to go to places where where they were writing great songs. And and so you come in in the morning and, and you sit down. Some of the writers are, are, are filtering in, having coffee. I do miss this, by the way, being at the record. I really, really miss this part of it at the record label. But writers come in and you just talk for a while before everybody gets their right going. Mm. And sometimes they talk about ideas. Sometimes they talk about songs they wrote in the middle of the night that they're excited about. Sometimes they play you a piece of something. It's a conversation, you know, mm. and then by the end of the day, they may show back up or somebody else shows up with something that didn't exist five or six hours before. And I think it's the most magical thing. And then of course you, you try to find a home for that. Yeah. So in A&R, I mean, I guess you're having some form of those conversations, but they're just with your artists and and Mm -hmm. instead of the writers, what, what's different about that that you miss? Yeah. I usually, the, the songs that I get now are fully formed, whether they're completely produced or guitar vocals or a writer coming in playing a song. Every now and then a writer will play me a piece of something that they're working on or an artist rather will play me something that they're working on. But for the most part, they send me or bring me finished songs. So the difference in in that and publishing for me, and this was a hard lesson to learn as I transitioned, I, I do think it's difficult to transition from publishing to A&R. Because publishing is such a wide net. You have a lot of songs and you've got to find a place to go with all of these songs. And in A&R, you are really looking for one or two things. So the other piece is, as a publisher, you're 
you're trying to follow all the opportunities for something. And when you get a cut, you have to relinquish any control over it. Mm. You can't control who cuts it. You can't control what the cut sounds like, whether it made the album, whether it gets picked for a single, what the single does on the chart. It's all out of your control. Mm. And that's the piece that I didn't love about it was, you know, there was so much effort and passion going into this music that I didn't like to relinquish control. I'm an only child, kind of a control freak. <laughs> um, so moving into A&R allowed me to keep my hands on it all the way through to the audience mm. participation, I guess. Yeah. Well, that, and that's, that's awesome. So you ended up at Warner Chapel at some point in, in mm-hmm. your publishing career, which then transitioned into A&R mm-hmm. uh, for Warner, which is what you're currently doing, just in a more, uh, in a deeper level. So I'd love to talk a lot of, a bit about the A&R discovery process and how you find new talent. Sure. So for you at Warner, what does that process look like? It takes a village. I have a great team of um of A&R folks who are out every single night till late at night. They are on their computers early in the morning and on weekends scouring the internet to see if there are any uh, anomalies in terms of songs that are popping up or live shows that are drawing an unusual amount of people. So recommendations for artists come from everywhere. And we use all the tools at our disposal. It's it's word of mouth. It's songwriters coming in and telling us about someone they just wrote with um, and saying, you know, my time is valuable and I'm going to spend a lot of time with this artist because I believe they're going to make it. And, and I think everyone is always assessing when they meet an artist, they're assessing, is this worth my time? Mm. Um, from songwriters to producers, to musicians, to you're always thinking, okay, I only have so much time. So, yeah. so when you hear that from a writer or a producer or a musician, it carries a lot of weight mm. because they've clearly chosen to spend their time on this particular, this particular artist. So we get a lot of word of mouth stuff from, from writers and publishers and agents, club owners. We hear, hear about things that way. And then we have some, some research tools. Um, we have a couple of brilliant women uh, that work with our research and analysis team, again, to look for spikes on any of the DSPs. Um, DSPs being Spotify, Spotify, Apple Music, Apple, Amazon, sure, all of those, YouTube. And they they see trends. We actually have a proprietary piece of software that that shows us trends and then you it, it gives us a timeline and you can click on a timeline and it will actually put on the screen, whatever the thing was that spiked. So if it was a social media post or a concert or a, a television performance, it'll tell you exactly at that time on that day what reacted with fans. Mm. So all of these are tools that we use and we, and we go out and we see shows. I mean, we were, the other night we had a divide and conquer. There were five of us and we were all at a different show and then we met up at one and then we all went to another one. So I think we all went to three shows that night. Wow. So So um, how how many nights a week would you say that's going on? Like actually going out to live shows? Every night. Wow. Mm -hmm. So that's just part of the job. Sure. And we travel on weekends. And you love that? Most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's um, listening to the songs, listening to the artists is my favorite part of the job. Um, But I always want to be 
present when I do it. And sometimes you are racing from other meetings to get there and then you're racing to the next thing. And so the, the racing part isn't fun yeah. Um, because that's not how fans enjoy music. Fans go and they experience it. And sometimes there's, there are just so many artists that we are kind of running crazy. So that's why I say that's the part I don't enjoy. I always love seeing music. I love artists, but I don't love racing to a show, staying for 20 minutes, getting back in my car, paying the thing at the next parking garage. Yeah. Going to, you know what I mean? The process of it is tiring. The rat race of it. Yeah. yeah. So maybe talk about even the last few, if you're, you know, able to say, you know, who are some of the, is there some examples of some of the last few artists that you've signed at Warner and how did they individually kind of each come to you? How did they land on your radar? Sure. They, all their stories are different. So one of the last artists that we signed uh, was Cody Johnson and Cody was an artist that I first heard about from his pro- current producer, Trent Wilman about eight years ago. And Trent had just started to work with him and Trent and I were friends. And, and he said, this, this kid is really special. You have to go see him. So I flew out to Texas eight years ago, saw Cody play for maybe 20 people but he just had this voice that was that was really unique. And you know, we call it the fairy dust. Even if the, the songs aren't perfect and the band's not perfect and the venue's not perfect, there's just something that's intangible sometimes with artists. Taylor Swift always had it. Mm. You would be in a room and, and it's like there's a light emanating from them that you, mm. you turn around, you go, what is that light? And you turn around and it's a person. Wow. You know, it's just a, it's just a again, magical, you know? So I want to yeah. so pause there. Cause that's, I've heard a version of that so many times just from different people in, in your position. Can you describe that at all? Like, what does that feel like? I guess it feels different for everyone. For me, it's sort of a thing in my solar plexus in my chest. It feels like an opening. I can't really, it's, this is weird. I cannot really explain it. It's a very specific feeling that I get when it happens. I don't know where so that's a physical, it's thing. a physical feeling for me of like an opening that, yes. that you want warm and warm and fuzzy opening. Okay. I mean, it sounds really ridiculous, but no, it, it really is yeah. a visceral uh, unconscious feeling just from talking to them or sometimes just seeing them. Sometimes just being around them. Is it when they're playing songs like in the sure. room in front of you? Or sure. Is it- Can be. Sometimes it's the personality that comes through in the songs they sing, sometimes it's the banter between the songs. So, you know, this doesn't take into account. Obviously, they they have to be good and talented, yeah, right? Yeah. This, that's but this like is a the fa- piece. That's ground zero. Yeah, yeah, this is the piece that separates. Like, I remember seeing as a fan, um, and I don't know if it's because I've just been a fan of country music for so long that I've absorbed all these people that other people were smart enough to sign, you know? Yeah, like, they sure. recognize it. And then as a fan, I kind of got used to what that felt like. Mm. Um I always throw back to Malcolm Gladwell and his 10,000 hour idea. You know, I do think that that carries weight because it's all the stuff that you practice unconsciously that leads to this stuff. But anyway, um, you talked about Cody. What's another example of a recent one um, (laughs) that maybe came to you and how did it come to you? How did you? Yeah. And the Cody thing took eight. I mean, it really took eight years. We just signed him. So that, that took, took a long time. Eight years from the first, like of you being introduced to him. Correct. And I, Tried to sign him a couple times before that, and he just wanted to do his own thing and, and build his his fan base and his vision, which was great. He did a great job. Let's see. Ashling McBride is another which artist. Is a great one, yeah. That we're really excited about. Um, we went to see Ashley 
at Third and Lindsley. And what was striking about her was, again, an incredible vocalist. But she ha- she had such personality. She was she was really funny and self deprecating and just quick. And she had a very clear perspective in her banter. At the time, the songs didn't feel as interesting as she was. Hmm. And she was and she was writing them. And I think as we talked about it later, because. Um, she ended up getting management um, with Q Prime with John Peets, and that turned out to be a magical combination. Mm. Um, and and she wrote these incredible songs that felt so authentic. When she brought the new record around, I think she was trying to write for something else the first time, mm. and then she was given permission or just took it to write for herself yeah. about and for herself without trying to make it fit in a box. Mm. And that's when, through that freedom, this this amazing music came through. Yeah. How did you get introduced to her in the first place? In the first place, it was through a publisher. But the when we signed her, J.R. Schumann at SiriusXM was ecstatic <laughs> about the new music and called and said, you guys need to take a look at this. This is, I'm going to, I'm going to start playing it, yeah. you know? And so, so the, for the audience, the, JR is the one who programs uh, the music for Sirius XM Highway, which is their country uh, channel on Correct. Sirius. So on average, I know it's different with every artist, but how many touch points would you say you have with an artist before you actually like sit down to take a meeting with them? Can you clarify touch points? Like have you, maybe a publisher has sent you something, maybe they've sent you something, maybe you've seen them at a show, like, or is it like, more often than not that that you just like an instant thing, you know, hey, I have to meet with this person. Or is it like somebody has to tell you about them like seven times before, you know? Yeah, um, I think it's a, look, it's a very small town. Nothing stays hidden in Nashville anymore. I mean, it's finding a needle in a haystack really doesn't exist. If there's yeah. something that's good, everybody kind of knows about it. Mm. So I, just, I think by virtue of that, I will hear from two or three places there's something going on with a particular artist, mm. not because someone tells me not, I ignore it and wait for someone else to tell right. me, but just because it all seems to happen at the same time. Mm. But I wouldn't say more than one or two. You know, that's we're trained to be on the lookout for whatever the next thing is. Yeah. So in any conversation that I'm having, if someone mentions, oh, yeah, if they mention something that sounds like it might be an artist that might be looking for a deal that might be great, you know, it's our job to to dive deep on that. Yeah. No, that's good. And that's the great way to answer it is that usually it kind of happens all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what does an initial meeting kind of look like? Like, what are you, are there questions, is there certain questions that you like to ask mm-hmm. or how are you kind of gauging? Yeah, artist? it's again, back to the conversation. You you really just want to know who the person is. Um, you'll have an impression based on the music that might be listening and thinking, wow, this artist really has a strong message they know exactly who they are. Or it could be this artist has an incredible voice. I'm not sure who they are. I'm not sure if they know who they are. So so you're kind of in that room to figure that out, to figure out what their work ethic looks like, what they've done. It's essentially an interview. I mean, that sounds cold, but... Do you have a line of questions that you like to ask? Sure. Just like you're doing with me. I have a, <laughs> I have a structure yeah. and then, it, and then, you know, we, we go down different roads, but sure. You always ask what music inspired them. 
if they wrote what you've heard, what their story is, how they got there. Um, because there is something to be said for everyone says it's a tenure town. And now you've, you've heard a couple of songs recently about it being a tenure town. But it's true. You know, there is no substitute for hard work. Mm. And through those years, artists find themselves and they find themselves in different ways. It's very rare that, that an artist coming to town for the very first time knows exactly who they are and what they want to say and what their message is. And they can put it in three minutes and 20 seconds and everybody understands it. Mm. So, so you're just trying to learn what the journey's been, what the path is, and then also where they see themselves mm. going forward. Do they want to play stadiums? Do they just want to make another record? Do they want to play clubs? Do they want, you know, it's, it's finding out what their vision is and then trying to decide if we can add value to that. Hmm. That's good. So how much more goes on before like actually proposing a record deal? Like what's that sort of courting process look like? Uh, that's different for everyone as well. Like sometimes you have meetings where you meet with them the first time. It's so overwhelming that you offer on the spot. Mm. That was the case with Dan and Shay, who is a duo that we are lucky to have that signed with us. We're on the third album with them right now, um, and they just won Grammy and yeah, some ACM awards. And so they're really year. they're doing really well. And um, but that was that was a meeting that uh, John Esposito and who's my boss and Scott Hendricks, um, who's our head of A and R, took. And said, you're not getting out of this room until you sign with us. You know, now there was no contract in the room and they did. But but that was how strongly they felt about that act. Wow. So that that was immediate. Hmm. Um, sometimes you there's an artist that we're looking at currently that we saw in a venue that wasn't great. So we really couldn't tell how good they are. We barely could hear what the lyrics were or, you know, the texture of their voice. So then we asked them to come into the office and play. And then when they came to the office, they had written a couple new songs that we hadn't heard. And those songs were really inspiring. Mm. Um, and the personality of that artist was overwhelming. And so it just happened that that day, the head of the label wasn't there. So we had to schedule another meeting. And then the head of the label came in and it, we just kind of, the, it just built upon that. And then we offered the deal then. So mm. it can be immediate or three, four, five meetings, trips. We fly out to see folks to yeah. see if, the, you know, if they've built a following, then, then we'll fly out to see that because that speaks volumes mm. if they can connect with, with audiences. Which was the pull. case with Cody Johnson, right? For sure. Had yeah, already Cody. had a really successful run in Texas and sold out the Houston rodeo, 75,000 seat. Wow. By himself. Wow. Yeah. So pretty impressive. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So how long after a deal is signed, and I'm sure this is different for every artist, but how long after a deal is signed, are you actually releasing music? Yeah. Again, I feel like my answer to everything, it, it's different for yeah. every artist. <laughs> Everybody has their own story. Um, if they have something... Or I, I get maybe a better question yeah. is this. How do you know when, when you're ready after you've signed the deal? Um, that goes back to that gut feeling again that the music is right. Yeah. And nothing can be said other than that's just the gut feeling. It's it, That's the expertise that you hope a record label has. Like when you sign with a record label, what you really need them to do is to tell them when their babies are not pretty. <laughs> you know, because at some point as an artist, everybody just tells you yes. 
And what you need are people in your corner that are going to be honest with you. You can listen to them or not listen to them. That's your choice. But having someone tell you, I don't think this is good enough. I think you can do better is more valuable than people think it is because it's not an easy conversation to have. And it, the person saying it is quite often, you know, the bad person or vilified or whatever. It's not anything anyone wants to hear. But just like in a corporate situation, if you're in a boardroom, you don't want everyone to agree with your ideas. You need a disruptor. You need someone to say, I think all of this sucks, you know, so that you can flush out what really matters and 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 what your roadblocks are. And I think that's what an artist needs from a record label too. So that is completely not what you asked me, but no, I just sort of went off on a tangent. That's great. An, an artist needs a label who knows how to tell them when, when their art right. is ready. Right. And I think that, and that requires trust because that artist has to feel that the record label is in their corner, that I, as an A&R person want the same thing that the artist wants. I want you to be huge. I want you, if you want to sell stadiums, I want you to sell stadiums. If you want to have multiple platinum records, I want you to have multiple platinum. Like we all have the same goal. There's no ego involved. So that trust is what allows those conversations to be fruitful. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good. So let's call that stage one, the finding, and 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 you like from from your role, from the artist perspective, what can artists do to get on your radar? Like, how can they be proactive? Do everything you can. Do anything you know to do. Connect with as many people as you can that are doing the thing that you want to do. Never stop learning. Never stop growing. I mean, this is all very cliche stuff. But yes, building a fan base is important. If you have X amount of Instagram followers and extra X amount of Facebook, you know, like, yeah, we'll notice it. However, it doesn't mean you'll get a record deal because ultimately what we're looking for is longevity. So if you come to the table with a fan base, that's great. Just make sure you have something to follow up whatever it is you're starting with mm. because it takes a lot of time and effort in addition to money, but yeah. honestly, the most expensive commodity is time and effort for a record label to break an artist Mm. and for that longevity. So what we want to see is that you, if you've got one song, we want you to have four or five Mm. that, that are at least, that at least show us where you're going. Yeah. Obviously it's great if you can bring in an album, that's wonderful. But, um, so play out, play live, don't wait for a label to do something for you. All the artists that I know that are really successful didn't sit back and wait for someone else to do it for them. Mm-hmm. They just went for it. Mm-hmm. And then as people came on board, the great thing was they developed a vision that was authentic and people just jumped on and were able to elevate it. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't asking anyone, well, what should I be? Who should I be like? What should I sing? You know, they they came to the table with a very clear vision of who they are, what they want to say, what they want to do. Now, that said, always be open to the fact that in terms of the machinery, some people know more than you do. Mm-hmm. You are the only person as an artist that can come to the table with the vision and the message to your fans. The smart artists recognize there are really, really talented people around them and they solicit opinions about 
how to put that music into the marketplace, yeah. when to put the music into the marketplace, or how to structure the tour, or those kinds of things, you know? So I think coming with a really clear vision, but also being open to other smart people who have the same vision for you is important. Yeah, that's good. So, and you, you touched a little bit on this, but before a label might be seriously interested, are there any, like what accomplishments does an artist kind of already need to have in place? Like, do they need to have a, a big social media following? Do they need to be doing tours of their own? Do they need to be having already released their own music? I mean, all those things are good, but I find the biggest place where stuff falls down is artists who don't know who they are. So, mm. Sure, it's easy for me to say, yes, go on tour. Yes, create a fan base. Yes, write songs. Yes, record music. Of course, all those things are important, but you can do all of those things. And if you don't know who you are, none of it's going to matter. So if that, if I could give artists one piece of advice, the piece would be really know who you are. And I don't mean I want to be like this person. I mean, who are you at your core? Um, Kenny Rogers, who has the best quotes on the planet because he is so wise, said one time that he had the most success. He said that he said there were there were several versions of him. And if for anyone who doesn't know Kenny Rogers, Kenny is a, an artist who sang The Gambler and Islands in the Stream with Dolly Parton. But but Kenny yeah, is a, is a massive, sense. massive artist. And Kenny said there were several facets to his to himself. There was Kenny, the artist. There was Kenny, the husband. There was Kenny, the dad. There was Kenny, the friend. Hmm. And he said the closer that all four of those people were to the same person, hmm. the more success he had. Wow. So it's just knowing who you are at your core and being that person. Wow. And then you can add all the tools you want. But without that piece, it's... There's nothing for anyone to invest in. Yeah, that's, man, that is a great way to kind of wrap this up. I, I, I don't know if I could have said, said it better myself. That's amazing. The last thing that I would love to ask before we jump into our lightning round, if you're cool with mm-hmm. that. Um, well, two things. Number one, um, I realize that Warner is a little bit different in the way that you guys operate in terms of choosing a single mm-hmm. for an artist. I want to dive into how you guys do it and what that process looks like of like, how do you, you, you pick a single? We're going to do that in our deep dive. If you're cool to go into that. Sure. So if people are interested in that, they can go to the show notes page for the show on madeitmusic.com. But lastly, what piece of advice would you have for the country artist who maybe has been in Nashville for five years, hustling hard and still doesn't have any record label interest? Just, just keep doing it. There is no right or wrong way to do this thing. And there's no, every, I just, it sounds, again, sounds cliche. Everybody's journey is, is really different. And I remember someone saying, you know, you, you never know how close you were to the finish line when you quit right before it. Mm. And so that is, that is the frustrating thing about this town is it really can take 10 or 12 years, 13, sometimes 15, but it also can turn on a dime. You get one song and then that song sets you up for the rest of your life. And that's, it's like winning the lottery. You know, you're gambling a lot. You're gambling relationships and time, but the win is big. And I don't think it's a game for anyone who can do anything else. I think 
If you've been here five years and you think, yeah, I could probably do something else, you probably should. Mm. For those of us for whom this is our life, it's almost like a disease. You cannot get rid of it. I don't know what other people think about (laughs) all day long. I only think about music and I can't change it. So if it's a choice, get in or get out for you, it's probably time to get out. Because for most of us, it really isn't a choice. It is just a it's a need. And and to that, I would say, you know, it's also it's frustrating, but there's also a part about creating that feeds your soul. And so when you think about going forward and, and, and try to find some joy in the creation, because people can hear that too. People can hear things through digital media. They can hear if, if you're having a good time doing it. They can hear if you're mad about it, which that's not bad either. I mean, you can write some mad, some mad songs have yeah. made people lots of money. So yeah. whatever the emotion is, just put that emotion into whatever it is that you're doing. And it will resonate. People will be able to hear it somehow, mm. you know? So I don't know. What, don't give up. Is that probably what I was just saying? Hey, don't give up. Hang great, on. No, it's, that's a great piece of advice. Let's jump into the lightning round. Lightning round. Number one. Best piece of advice ever given to you? Uh, best piece of advice. Again, this is not, go with your gut. Just go with your gut. That's truly the best one. It's not poetic. That's a great piece of advice. Easier one. Favorite Nashville meeting spot? That's not easier. Really? Favorite Nashville <laughs> meeting spot. Well, let's see. I'm you don't gonna, have like a go-to? I, I really don't. I really, I really... I don't have a go-to. I go wherever anyone wants to go or wherever's comfortable for them. So, Where was um, the last spot you had a meeting? We'll call it that. Uh, Pinewood Social. Pinewood Social. Sure. Great. <laughs> Good spot. Uh, first concert you ever went to? Kenny and Dolly. It's a good one. Book that you most commonly recommend or gift to people? Give and take. And lastly, first record that you ever A&R'd? Oh. If you remember when you started at Warner? Ray Scott. I don't know. that When I started at Warner, there were several records that didn't come out. Mm. Um, but Ray Scott was was probably the first record I, yeah, I worked on. Awesome. Chris Lacey, thank you so much for being here on the Made It Music podcast. So many good things, so many good takeaways for our audience. And uh, I just would love to leave people with kind of what you said last, that um, – Really, that's a great takeaway that if you can't imagine doing anything else other than this, or if you don't know how to do anything else (laughs) other than this, that's probably a pretty good indication that you're on the right track. Yeah. Then you belong here. You belong here with all the rest of us. You at (laughs) least belong. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're going to be successful, but you at least belong. And and that's success in some way. So, Mm -hmm. um, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Okay, that's the end of the episode. Thanks for joining us today. I am sure that you want a deep dive, and we have a deep dive for you. Chris and Seth talk details on choosing a radio single. Choosing the right single for an EP or album is critical to make sure that you are putting out the right music that has the most potential to be loved and shared. And often that is so much easier said than done. So you can get access to the deep dive that talks about that very thing for free at madeitinmusic.com. There is a sign-up link for you right there on the homepage. Again, that is at madeitinmusic.com where you can download that for free. And if you are interested in getting the notes and links and resources mentioned in this episode, you can get that at madeitinmusic.com slash 143. 
This season is almost over. It's been such a great ride. But if you have not subscribed yet, then I would definitely encourage you to do so. Just go to your favorite podcast platform and hit that subscribe button so that way you automatically get each new episode, not just for the remainder of season two, but also for when we begin with season three. We've heard from a lot of you who have found our podcast at one point, then life might have gotten busy and you forgot about it because you didn't hit that subscribe button and you ended up missing tons of episodes, some of which have time-sensitive information. So don't let that be you. If you're serious about a music career, then make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. And if you ever have advice or feedback for this podcast, we would absolutely love to hear that. You can leave us a message regarding this podcast at our madeitinmusic.com website. We also read every review, so we would definitely encourage you to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform as well. Thanks for hanging out with us, and today we're going to leave you with a song from one of you. Anna Johnston is the artist on this one, and she recorded this song through our Bridge House program. It is called Beautiful Rainfall. Beautiful Rainfall 